Every year as we get close to Christmas Eve, my extended family gather together and we um, kind of celebrate. I've got a bunch of uncles and aunts and a bunch of cousins. And so when we all get together, there's a lot of people. And one of the traditions that we have when we get together is we do a kind of a pirate Christmas gift exchange. There's like all sorts of different names for it. You know, some of you have like the white elephant and all these different names. But kind of the whole point of this gift exchange is you bring a gift and then there's this process of trying to steal each other's gifts and hoping that you end up with the best gift. Everybody nods. We understand this game, right? Okay, so here's what happens in my family. I don't know if this happens in your family, but in my family, uh, there's like out of the 25 gifts, there's like only two you want. Most of the time, somebody brings, I, I think I have an uncle who's brought like that jumper cable set that we all have in our cars. He's brought it like five years in a row, or it's like the mini tool kit, or it's like a candle and a coffee mug and some tea. You know, some of my family kind of cheaps out on this experience. And others of us, we want this to be fun for everybody. And so we bring good gifts. But the problem is, is when you start to open the gifts, you don't always have the ability to steal a gift. It just depends on kind of what your number is. You draw numbers and whether or not someone stole your gift. And so here's been my experience for most of my, my adult life is I show up to this pirate gift exchange and then I bring a great gift hoping that somebody else will bring another great gift and we'll both end up with each other's great gifts at the end of the night. And most of the time, I leave disappointed. And the worst part of the whole thing, if this is you, you're like number two, and you go and you open a gift and you get a lousy gift, and then you have to sit there the whole game and watch everybody else open great gifts or steal great gifts, and you're just begging somebody to come get your jumper cables, knowing that nobody's going to come and get your jumper cables. It's It's awful. So about five years ago, I decided that I was done with this disappointment in the gift exchange. And so I'm just going to be honest. I have family members here this morning. Some of them know my secret. This is what I do. So you can borrow this at your own pirate gift exchange. I go buy something that I want, and then I wrap it really ugly. And then when it's my number, I go get that present every year, and I sit with it, and then I fight for it because I am determined that I'm going to make sure that I leave with the gift that I want. It's a bad game, at least the way that we play it, and so I have come up with this solution to make sure that I don't spend the night and then the rest of Christmas disappointed with the gift that I got. Now, what I do at our family Christmas party, we actually spend a lot of our time in our lives trying to do, especially in this Christmas season. We are trying to manage and kind of avoid disappointment. We spend our lives protecting ourselves, coming up with solutions and strategies and techniques and tips and tricks to make sure that we don't live with disappointment. Because we hate that feeling, right? It's that feeling that you have all of these hopes or all of these expectations, all of these wishes about how something's going to turn out, and then it doesn't, and you got to sit there in it, watching everybody else kind of enjoy the game, while you're like wishing that what you had, what you were holding, the way that your life is gone, or what's happening in that particular moment just looked different. It's that feeling that you wish things were different than they were. Maybe a relationship is different than it was. Maybe your job isn't what you hoped it would be. 
but we're all sitting there with these unwanted gifts, just bummed, because everybody else seems to have better gifts than we do. And the holiday season's the worst, because it just sets us up for all sorts of disappointment, right? Maybe it's disappointment because you're a really thoughtful gift giver, and you spend a lot of time kind of thinking through the perfect gift for everybody in your family that communicates kind of your understanding of who they are as a person and all of the ways that you have been thinking for months about the perfect gift for them. And then you get a gift card from them, and you're like, that's so personal. Thank you. Oh. Or maybe for you, it's the disappointment comes as you gather, and you look around the room, and the room doesn't look like what you hoped it would look like. You wanted the room or the table or the experience to have different faces than it does or a face that seems to be missing or a face that was hoped for that has never materialized. Like This is one of the parts of Christmas that feels so hard and this is the sermon series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks because ultimately there are these feelings that creep up in the run-up to the holiday season that are just kind of gross and they're unwanted and they're uncomfortable and... If we don't talk about it, then we have to kind of carry it through the holiday season by ourselves. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some of these emotions, some of these feelings, some of these things that come up. And uh, Allie kicked us off talking about grief and loss. And if you weren't here that Sunday and that's something that you're fighting in this holiday season, go back and listen to it. I mean it. Do it. Go back and listen to it. We don't always send you back to the sermon archives but in this instance, or if you have somebody in your life who's wrestling with loss during the season, send them that way. And then last week I talked about fear and all of the ways that it manifests in our lives. And today we're talking about disappointment. Because whether it's small or whether it's really big and pronounced, we all have to contend with this emotion and this sensation of disappointment, knowing that we want things to be better than they are. And so for some of us, we try to do what I do. We try to control the circumstances and the situations, and we try to architect, architect this perfect environment so that we don't feel disappointment. Or for others of us, we just, we just squash any hopes and dreams and expectations we have. We don't dare utter them out loud because if we name them and then they don't come true or people don't follow through on them, then we're really disappointed, and so it's better to hold them quietly and privately to ourselves, not letting anybody know what we hope for or want or need. That way, if we're disappointed, it's a small-D disappointment as opposed to a capital-D disappointment. And then others of us, we just try to get through this season as quickly as possible. It's like, hurry up, just make the time pass so that we can move on. It can be January, and we can all start our diets and exercise programs and just forget that all of this even happened. But there's a different way through it. There's a different way to approach it. Because the risk that comes with disappointment is not just that we kind of have these gross feelings that we don't want, wishing that our lives look different, or our relationships look different, or our finances look different, or our, we had a different kind of health diagnosis. Because if we don't deal with the disappointment, eventually the disappointment deals with us. And what ultimately I think we run the risk of is if we hold and wrestle with this disappointment for long enough, we ultimately become disappointed with God because we feel like we got shortchanged. We're sitting there at the party holding jumper cables while everybody else has great gifts and, 
eventually we turn that frustration, that disappointment, all of those feelings, we turn them towards God and say, this is your fault. And so I know for some of us, this is why the holiday season is particularly difficult because we know disappointment's coming and it impacts our faith. It impacts how we think about God. And for some of us, church is even hard during this time of year because we don't want to have to admit that we're pissed, that we're mad at God because God hasn't held up God's end of the deal. And we don't know what to do with that. We don't even know how to name that sometimes. And so to guide us through, I want to kind of look at a psalm this morning. Most of Scripture is God's words to us. The psalms are different. The psalms are our words to God. And so this morning, we're going to walk through an entire psalm uh, that's kind of, kind of like a song. So if you were the kid that grew up kind of getting the albums and reading the liner notes and going through the lyrics and some of the color and details about why the artists wrote what they wrote, this is kind of the same thing. Because this person, his name is Asaph, and he was kind of like one of the lead worship leaders at the time. He'd be like a Chris Tomlin or a, a Shannon or whoever it may be, just the one in charge with writing the songs and crafting the lyrics and leading all of the music. And he writes this song, and it names all of the emotions that we fight with when it comes to disappointment. And so I want to walk us through what his words are because there's this kind of movement and there's this journey that he takes through the song that I think will ultimately kind of serve as a guide for us as we navigate disappointment in this Christmas season. So this is out of Psalm 73. If you have a Bible, pull it out. If you have a phone and you promise not to make grocery lists, you can use your phone or you can just look on the screen and I'll walk us through this. So this is how he starts. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. What he's saying here is, listen, God is great, and he's great to Israel and everyone who's faithful. And I almost lost my way. I almost fell off being included in this group of people who's faithful to God. I almost slipped, I almost tripped up, and I almost walked away from my faith. And here's why. He says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Asaph is sitting at the party, holding something he doesn't want, seeing everybody else with good gifts that don't seem to deserve them, and he gets frustrated, he gets disappointed, and he gets angry at God. He goes on. He says, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. Now, immediately, what's happening here for all of us is we are thinking of people who fit this description, right? All of the people who their lives seem so perfect. Maybe you view it through social media. Maybe you happen to have a relationship with them more personally. But you look at them and it's like everything seems to work out for them. It's like their lives have this Midas touch. Everything turns out gold for them. 
They never seem to gain weight. They always seem to be in shape. They always get the promotion. They always get the credit. They always get invited. They always have the friend or the boyfriend or the girlfriend. They're always the one that good things seem to happen to them. And it's not fair because they're not deserving of it. And so why, God, are we sitting here with this while they all get that? This is what the psalmist is saying. They don't have troubles like other people. They definitely don't have troubles like us. Life's not hard for them, and it seems to be smooth sailing. And we want to know why. So he goes on. He says, on top of the fact that they have everything going well for them, they're jerks. He says, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. They have everything their hearts could ever wish for. And this is where it really feels unfair, right? Not only does everything go well with them, but they're not even a nice person. You know, they're the people that talk behind people's backs, and yet everybody still seems to like them. It's like, how could you be friends with her if you'd heard the way that she talked about you, and yet she gets invited to everything? And I don't get invited to anything. Like, that's not fair. They always seem to get the promotion when they're totally dishonest. They cut all of the corners. The executives know, and yet they still promote this person Like, okay, God, I understand that not everybody gets doled out the same amount. But, like, they're not even, like, good people. So why is it that they get this? And I'm sitting here holding that. And he goes on. And he says, and so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words, the people around them, like, Look at their lives. They seem to have all of the answers. This happens to us on social media. You just kind of see the polished veneer of people who seem to have everything going well. And you're like, well, maybe they know something that I don't. Maybe I should listen to them. Maybe I should kind of follow their advice or their suggestions. He says, people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. And it's like, well, maybe we should doubt God because what does God know? Does God even know what's happening? Like, this is the kind of the place where our brain starts to break a little bit. It's like, God, I, I tried to be faithful. I tried to follow your rules. I tried to live a life in your image. And like, what has it got me? These people, like, they don't do any of that. They sleep in on Sunday mornings. They, they lie on their taxes. And everything seems to go right for them. So maybe this thing that I believe isn't worth believing because it's not working for me and whatever they're doing is working for them and that's not fair. And I thought my life would look different. I thought if I lived this way, it would be different. I thought if I trusted you, God, you would show up in a different way for me than it seems like you're showing up. And so I'm disappointed because I wanted it to be better. I wanted it to look different. And it doesn't. And ultimately, God causes me to doubt you, and it causes me to blame you. The psalmist goes on. He says, look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Just the hits keep coming. Why does it always continue to work out for them? Why do the rich get richer? Why does it seem to work that the people who are the least deserving seem to have such easy lives? Come on, God. 
Like, where's the justice in this? Where's the fairness in this? I'm sitting here in the middle of a mess that I didn't create, waiting for you to do something. And you're either inattentive, uncooperative, or you are running way late, God. This creeps in. And all of these little nooks and crannies in our lives that we thought were sealed up. Somehow this seeps in and it starts to kind of affect our hearts. It affects our faith. It can poison our relationships. And this is where kind of the psalmist, kind of the, this was a song. This is where it would crescendo. This is where he kind of in full force and frustration with God, he goes on. He said, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. And every morning brings me pain. Some of us, this is the season that we're in right now. We wake up and this is our word. This is the mantra we keep saying to ourselves over and over again. What was all of this for? This is pointless. Like, did I do this for no reason? Because life is not fair to me. And I am flat out disappointed. And I'm angry. And I'm frustrated. And I want this to be different. I'm ready for it to be different. I have been patient enough. And here I am in the midst of all of this. And it is not fair. And then, once he lets it out, starts to make a turn and he goes on and he says if I had really spoken this way to others I'd have been a traitor to your people and this is what's hard for us is because what we need to remember is it's okay to say those things to God if you're angry if you're frustrated if you're wrestling with disappointment and you don't know where to place it it's okay to say it to God. What the psalmist says is he goes, I was just, I didn't want to say it to other people. I didn't want how I was feeling and what I was wrestling with to influence the faith of others. And so I'm going to tell you, God, and then I'm going to wrestle with it. And this is what he does. He says, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Why do wicked people prosper? Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people or even great people? There is a profound unfairness to all of this. And then this is where the shift happens for Asaph. This is, I think, what we can begin to learn about all of the emotion and frustration and disappointment that we wrestle with when life doesn't look the way that we thought it would and when things aren't as good as we hoped they would be, and when we're sitting with all of this unmet expectation and all of these like broken hopes and dreams of what should have been or what could have been or what we longed for it to be. And he said, then I went into your sanctuary. Then I started to draw closer to you, God. I moved into your presence. I, I pursued you. 
and I finally understood their destiny. All of these wicked people who life seems to go well for. And he said, truly, they walk down a slippery path that sends them sliding over the cliff to destruction. He said, ultimately, like, God, I recognize that where their life ends is not a place where I want to be. Yeah, they may have a lot of stuff that I'm envious of. They might have a life that I wished my life looked like. They might be successful in the way that I hoped my life would be successful in a way that it's not successful. They might have the relationships or the status or the popularity or the physique or whatever it may be. They've got a lot of stuff that I want. But I'm starting to recognize the fickleness of that, the emptiness of that, how ultimately at some point none of that can go with us. And that there is... There is life beyond having all of the things that we hope for that we may not ever get. And so he says, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. And some of you, you avoid church because of this very line. Your heart's bitter and you are all torn up inside. I just want you to know it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be wrestling with a lot of emotion that feels ugly and unwanted. We don't just have to live in the happy half here at church. You can bring all the hard stuff too. And we can sit with it. And we can give it to God. And God can handle it. God can handle all of your anger. He can handle all of your frustration. He can handle all of the bitterness that's in your heart, all of the rage, all of the disappointment and hurt and the should have been and could have been and would have been and supposed to be that we hold in our life. And he said, I was so foolish and ignorant. Because the assumption in all of this that Asaph begins to undo is he lives most of this with this belief that his relationship with God is quid pro quo. I know half of you are attorneys here this morning, but for the other half, what that means is just something for something. There is an unspoken or maybe a spoken contract between us and God that if I do this, then God will do that. If I'm a good person, if I'm a kind person, if I'm a faithful person, if I show up and volunteer and serve and tithe and give and sacrifice, and if I follow the rules, that's my half, God. And your half, if we're honest, you give me what I want. You make my life look like what I want my life to look like. You fill in all of the things that I hope for, I long for, I yearn for, I desire. Whether we name it or not, most of us have this something for something, this quid pro quo relationship with God. Like, God, I did my part. And now I'm sitting here holding jumper cables, real angry, because that wasn't the deal. And what Asaph realizes is that we have to realize 
is that that's never been the relationship between us and God. It is fun to make Christmas lists and wish lists and letters to Santa with all the hope of what we might receive this year. But that is not how God works. God has never promised to give you everything on your list. God has never promised to make your life easy. He has never promised that you would get every promotion or every date would return your phone call or you would have the life or the family or the career you dreamed of. That's, that's, that's a contract. And that's not what God offers us. Instead, he offers us a relationship. And that's way better. Because all that other stuff, as Asaph has learned, it all goes away at some point. And what he discovers is in a relationship with God, what he gets is something that never leaves, something that he'll forever have. It doesn't mean that you get to live on the street that you want to live in. It doesn't mean that you get everything that you long for. And yes, there will be things that don't happen the way that you want them to happen. And that's life. But what he discovers is with a relationship, he gets the best part even better than he could ever hope for. And this is what he says. He says, yet, despite all of that, as I'm working through and processing all of these hard emotions surrounding disappointment, yet I still belong to you. God, that, that'll never change. I still belong to you, God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. This is contrasted with the destiny of all of the other wicked people who get what they want. Their life eventually will end up in a ditch, falling off a cliff at some point. It never works out for them. But with us, there is a future that's glorious. And this is the part that we have to wrestle with, even if it's not in this life. Because ultimately, that's the hope of Advent. The, ad, the hope of Advent is not that Christ comes and then we get everything we've wanted. That's not the hope that now that Jesus is here, life is smooth sailing. The hope of Advent and the hope that Asaph points us to is that no matter what happens in this life, even if none of our expectations and even if none of our hopes get met or fulfilled, we still have a glorious future and destiny in Christ. This is what he says. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Church, what if that was the perspective shift that we could get to this Advent season? More than anything on earth that we hope for more than anything on earth that we expect or desire or long for, what if what we desired most was something eternal? This relationship that we have with God in heaven. And then he says this. He says, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. 
And at some point for all of us, our health will fail. And at some point, our spirit will grow weak. But that doesn't have to be the end of our story. We can allow God to be the strength of our heart. And then this is kind of the way he ends it. And this is the way that we make all this happen. He says, God's presence is my good. God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. The gift of Christ, of Emmanuel, is the gift of God with us. Not of a genie, not of a Santa that grants all of our wishes, but of a God who's always with us. Even when our health fails, even when we get laid off, even when they break up with us, even when we get rejected or betrayed, we have a God who's with us. And we can place our hope and trust in Him. That's what it means to make the Lord our shelter. And so friends, in this holiday season, in the midst of all of our hopes, in the midst of all of our expectations, what if we put our energy into drawing closer to God? It can even be with animosity and frustration and all of these ugly emotions. What does it just look like to pray and say, God, here's all the things that I wish were different. Here's why I'm mad at you. Here's why I'm frustrated. Here's why I'm disappointed. Would you help me be, would you help me make you my good? The thing that I hope in, the thing that I trust in, would you let me exchange this gift for a different one? To allow you to be the thing that I treasure most in this world. Friends, no matter what you're holding, you can make that swap and you can make that exchange. And my prayer for us is that whether it's during the holidays or next year or next month, that if we're finding ourselves in a place where we're holding something, we're like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. This is not what I expected. That we can say, God, make you my good. Let me swap it out for your presence and your guidance and your grace in my life. It's my prayer for us. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, you are a good Father who loves us and you give us good gifts. Help us to recognize the best things in life all come from you. And the greatest of all is the gift of your Son and your continual presence with us. So in the midst of our hurts and our disappointments, our frustrations and our fears, God, help us recognize that we have something way better. We have you. And ultimately, God, help us recognize that that's enough. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.